of us know all that he's done for us. We're going to spend eternity worshiping and praising the Lord for all that he's done. Our eyes are going to be open to see the amazing things that he did that we, we accused him of not being involved with. But you know what? There's nothing that he doesn't want to do in our lives that would bring abundant life. It's just letting him have his way and us asking him to help us recognize what he's doing. Amen? Because he's doing great things. He's a good God, an awesome Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Well, you can take a minute and greet some of the people around you, and uh, you can be seated. You know, in the uh, last song that we sang, part of what we just sang was that you'll bring our chaos back into order. You'll make the orphan a son and, or daughter. And uh, I, I just so appreciate the fact that God is not only willing to do it, he is able to do it. And if we'll let him, he will do that in our lives. There's a lot of stuff that is, is coming at us pretty quick in these days. Isn't that true? And uh, we're not always uh, aware of what's coming, but we can always be confident no matter what comes because of, of our hope that we have in Christ, the hope we have in God. Um, so many things are changing, and we're not seeing a lot of things change for the better. And that could be very disconcerting. It could be very um, fear-evoking. And we could get ourselves all worked up, but uh, instead of allowing that to happen, we can turn from focusing on what's going on to focusing and trusting in the one who's with us and who can do much more than we could ever imagine or dream. And that's why I've been sharing with you about hope, how important this hope is and where it comes from. Because in these days, we're, we're seeing people becoming more desperate, um, depressed, discouraged, um, despairing. And, and that's part of what the Bible tells us is going to happen when we don't put our hope in God. In um, Proverbs 13, 12, and this won't be up on your screens, but it says, uh, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And when it says hope deferred, it's hope that doesn't come to pass. When we hope for something and it doesn't come to pass, we become heart sick. And the reason why it doesn't come to pass is because we put our hope in the wrong thing. Uh, you and I can put our hope in all sorts of things and find that they don't come to pass the way we expect or the best way. And, and that's because our hope is in something other than God. Uh, also in, in uh, Psalms, in three places, it says, Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. That word downcast uh, means to be discouraged, depressed, or despairing. And when we find ourselves that way, when we find ourselves hopeless or despairing or depressed, part of what we need to recognize is we have lost focus, lost awareness, lost confidence 
in the God who is with us as his kids uh, and, and who is always there and who wants the best for us, uh, so much so that God so loved us that he gave his only son, that no one would perish, but we would have everlasting life, this, this abundant everlasting life through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we can have this confidence in this world that is not secure, not stable. It is constantly changing and not always in the best way. And, and that's why we have been learning that this, this hope, this confidence that we have truly can only come from one source. And, and when we talk about hope in the world, it's a questionable expectation. I hope this happens. I hope that happens. And many times we find our hope deferred. It's put off. It doesn't happen the way we want because we're hoping in a lot of things that are circumstantial, um, but not stable. But when we put our hope in God, that hope is a confident expectation of good. And that's where we've been learning in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, the, the, one of the foundational scriptures for this series uh, is, is about the God of hope who would fill you with all joy and peace that you would abound to even more hope, joy and peace and believing uh, that you would abound to even more hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he is the God of hope and he fills us. Now, how many of you know if you want to fill a glass, it has to be turned the right way? Right? I, I know, a very, very obvious question, uh, but I, I at one point was pouring water at a place with a bunch of folks at the table and didn't notice that one of the glasses was upside down. Very embarrassing. All right? But quickly made an adjustment to turn the glass the right way. Listen, you and I are all vessels. That's what the Bible tells us. And, and as a vessel, we need to turn towards the right source. Okay? Uh, and, and what source is that? Is that what the world is giving us and, and telling us and promoting and, and promising us? Or is it towards the one who never breaks a promise? And who is that? That's right. That's God. And so we need to turn our vessels towards God. Which means if we're going to turn towards God, we've got to turn away from something else. We have to put our hope, our trust, our confidence in God and God alone so that we don't become heart sick like the, the scripture says that I mentioned this morning. But that joy and peace, all joy and peace would, would fill us because we believe. And that joy strengthens us, that peace secures us and stabilizes us, which is exactly what we need in the times we're living in. We need strength. Okay, I need strength. I need strength for, for each day. Uh, I need security and stability for each day because uh, each day comes at me, comes at us, and we don't know what it's going to be. Sometimes the things that, that I find in, in my day are awesome and I'm enjoying them so much. Other times, they're not quite as awesome. They're not quite as enjoyable. But I can have the same peace and the same joy because I have my hope in God no matter what I face. And that's what God has for us, that we would be an anomaly in the society that we live in. We wouldn't be up and down and back and forth and crying the, the blues one day and shouting from the mountaintop the other day, that we would be stable, secure, and strong in the world that we live in. And people around us would recognize there's a difference. What, what's different about you? 
And that's exactly what Peter told us in, in 1 Peter 3.15 where he said, you need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. I need to be prepared. You need to be prepared to be able to give an answer for the reason that we have a hope. What is the what is the reason we have a hope in this world, this confident expectation, this stability, this security, this strength, even though we're facing the same things? And we need to be able to express and explain to people why. And the reason why is because that hope is an anchor. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, it tells us that this, this hope is an anchor to our souls or for our souls. You know, no more having to be stressed out and, and having meltdowns because this hope, this confident expectation of good or of God having his way because God ultimately is the only good. You know, somebody said to Jesus, good teacher, and Jesus said, why do you call me good? And that, that kind of put that person off. And he said, there's only one good, and that's God. God is good all the time. You don't have to question whether God's good or he's going to do good. That's all he does. The Bible says that, that our Father above gives us every good and perfect gift, and he doesn't change. There's not one day he's going to give us good, and the next day he's going to take it back. Hello? Are you all here? I, I'm going to need your participation this morning. We're all going to work here this morning. But before we go any farther, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your presence. Thank you for your, your provision and your plan. Father, thank you for your participation. Father, today I ask that you help me. I need your help and that you would use me to be a vessel that you would pour through today. Father, that there would not just be information shared, but there would be revelation that would come as Holy Spirit illuminates your word as it goes forth, and that would bring transformation, real change, eternal change, um, Christ-honoring change in our lives. And Lord, we know that this is not a, uh, a self-help project. It's a partnership with you that, uh, that you're at work in us to will and to do your good pleasure. So Father, help us recognize what we need to turn away from and let go of and what we need to turn to and embrace. That, Father, we would, we would really experience what you have said in your word we could, and that is that we would go from faith to faith and glory to glory. So, Father, we thank you for the good work that you've begun, that you are faithful to complete in us. Father, we look to you, listen for you, to respond to you and rely on you. And we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So this hope we have is, as an anchor to our soul, both sure and steadfast. Uh, that, that, that sure, that word sure is unchanging and reliable. Steadfast is immovable and stable. Uh, that's, that's what we need, because if not, we're going to be dragged around. The Bible tells us that, that if we aren't stable in Christ, in, in, in God, in who does not change, we're going to be dragged around back and forth, up and down, uh, by all the winds of doctrine that are going on. And, and doctrine is not just theological teaching, it's teaching. We're being taught by all sorts of, of sources with all sorts of reasons behind what they're teaching us. Uh, Debbie and I were watching a special last night, and it was about how uh, years ago the tobacco companies were, 
were telling everybody that, you know, cigarettes were good. They were actually good for you, that doctors smoked them. And there was no correlation between cigarettes and cancer. Now, we've come to find out that's not exactly true. <laughs> You're laughing, but it was presented as truth. And, and there are other things that were presented daily as truth. But one thing about truth is that if it's really true, it never changes. That's where when we, you know, this whole thing, I've said this before, and it just is amazing to me. It, it's humorous, but it's sad at the same time where I hear that an egg is really good for you dietarily, and then I hear it's terrible for you, but then I hear it's good for you, and I don't know who to believe. Do you guys find yourself in any of that situation where you're not sure who to believe? Okay, well, let me give you a hint. If you don't know who to believe, then believe one, and that's God. Well, what's he say about eggs? I don't know what he says about eggs, but I can tell you that he's right about eggs and everything else. And so you can trust God because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if we're going to be stable, if we're going to be secure, if we're not going to be deceived, and we've talked about that for, for a lengthy time about deception and the age that we're living in and how it's so pervasive and widespread, uh, we've got to go to truth. And, and the truth is found in God and in his word. And so we've been looking at this, this hope that is an anchor to our soul, sure and steadfast, and how no matter what we experience, no matter what our day brings, we can be confident. Not in what comes at us, but in the one who is with us, uh, the God of hope. And, and we've been looking at the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 27 where we, we could look at any portion of his life and see how he had a, a confidence in God, a confident expectation of good that it was going to work out. And we know Romans 8, 28 says God works all things for what? Good. Yeah, but I'm not. I, you know what? You got to be sure about that. The word says it. God will work all things out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Because when we love him, we align ourselves with him. When we're called according to his purpose, we're fulfilling his will. We're on track with him. We're following him out. And no matter what we encounter, he is going to turn it eventually to good. Now, please understand that when it says good, it doesn't mean it's going to feel good. It's not always going to look good. It's not always going to seem good, but from God's perspective, it is good. And I, I, a few weeks ago, I shared with you, I asked you a question, and it wasn't so obvious a question, and that is, was the cross good? The cross of Jesus Christ was good. It was good for us, but it wasn't so good for Jesus at the moment, right? And there are things you and I are going to go through that God is bringing us too good and bringing through it good, but it doesn't feel good. And we have to be courageous enough and willing enough to have confidence, a confident hope in God that he's going to bring it all to good because he will. God is faithful. God is faithful. But the Apostle Paul had that confidence in all sorts of circumstances and situations. And in Acts chapter 27, this is where we've been looking at his life, a kind of a, a not really a snapshot, but it's a season in his life where he is traveling to Rome 
uh, to stand before Caesar, to be able to be tried about something that had been contrived about him, and he didn't feel he could get a fair trial where he was. But it was also part of God's plan. God's plan was that Paul would go to Rome and witness to Caesar, the highest power in the land, and all sorts of people along the way. Listen, it's not just about the destination. Hello? If, if we're destination-minded, we've just got to get there, then we're going to miss everything God wants to do between where we are and where God has for us to go. And that's a lot because God has for us to impact every life that we come in contact with in some way towards him along that path. And that's exactly what happened with Paul. But in the course of him going from where he was jailed at first, not correctly, and towards Rome, there were all sorts of people that were being impacted. And he happened to be on a ship that sailed in a time that wasn't right, but they sailed anyways because they based their hope on circumstances and what they could see, what they could feel, what they understood, how they comprehended things. Listen, you can't do that and find it working out for good. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with your whole heart. Lean not to your own understanding and always acknowledge him and he'll direct your steps. Now, when it says trust in the Lord, it's a, talking about hoping in the Lord. And you can't lean on your own understanding. When we trust God, we've got to trust him. Now, it doesn't mean that we, you know, don't use our brains anymore. But no matter what we come up with, figuring things out, we have to yield to God and to his word and to his ways. And so the Apostle Paul was in this ship that was caught in a hurricane. And we looked at this, and at, at one point in verse 20 of, of Acts chapter 27, it says uh, the people lost all hope because their hope was in circumstances. And then in verse 22, Paul tells them, now I want you to, to hope, take hope. Because they would never have taken the real hope unless they had let go of the false hope. Folks, you and I can't hold on, have a confident expectation in God until we lose confidence in everything else. You and I can't have confidence in both. The Bible says a double-minded person will receive nothing from God. If I'm confident that the world can save me, that, that our economy can save us, that our whatever of this world can save us, and I say I'm confident in God, you can't be confident in both things. You've got to choose one. The Bible says we can't serve two masters. And so we need to, we're literally making a decision every time we choose on what we have confidence in. And we need to look at our choices to determine is it really in God or is it in something else. And so Paul had confidence in God. That's why in the midst of this storm, when everybody else gave up hope, Paul was in the same situations, experiencing the same thing. And he said, now I want you to take hope, real hope, a biblical hope, a confident expectation in God in good that what he's going to do is going to work out good. Sometimes that's hard to do because of what we see. Our eyes want us to believe something else. It's sometimes hard to do because of what we feel. Our feelings want us to trust in something else. Sometimes it's hard to do because of what we hear or what other people say. But you and I have to make up our minds. We're going to have confidence in one and only one, and that's God. And Paul did. 
And that's why we see these four anchors in Paul's life that kept him confident in the midst of one of the most dangerous, distressful, disturbing situations. This ship was in a hurricane. Now, we have ships today that are built so much stronger and they can't survive a hurricane. And Paul's in this wooden ship. This thing is not hurricane proof. And yet he has a confidence. Even though they couldn't see the sun or stars for many days, he has confidence. And in verse 20, chapter 27, verse 23 through 25, we looked at the first three of the four anchors. And when I say there were four anchors, there's no lack of number of anchors of hope we can have because God's unlimited. If our hope is in God, which it needs to be. That's the only kind of real biblical hope. And God is unlimited. There is an unlimited opportunity for us to have hope. But we've got to base it on something. And the first thing the Apostle Paul based it on, we see here, is said, for there stood by me this night the, an angel of the Lord, angel of the God whom I belong and whom I serve. That first anchor was a confidence that God was with him. God was with him. God's presence was with him. And it was provided to affirm that because God sent this angel to him. But how many of you know not all of us are going to get angels sent to us? You know, some people do see angels. And I think I said last Sunday, I see one every day. But that's my wife. But I've never seen an angel as far as what I've seen with an open vision. I've been aware of things, but not, I can't say, well, I've seen an angel. But yet, the Bible says they're all around us. Okay? They're ministers to the heirs of salvation. That's you and, and every human being. <coughs> Excuse me. But he was shown this angel. It affirmed that God was with him. You know, we, we have to walk by faith. We need to know no matter where we go. Jesus promised us, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll not abandon you or leave you as an orphan. My father and I will come and make our, our home in you, our residence in you. And how do we know that? Who resides in us now after we've believed in Jesus Christ? That's right. That's the right answer. Holy Spirit. How often do you feel him? Okay, thank you. Yeah, it's not about feeling. God doesn't want you led by feelings. God wants you to walk by what? Faith. Faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We hear what Jesus said he'd do. He'd never leave us or forsake us. And, and so we've got to believe he's there. Do you feel him? No, I don't feel him, but he's there. Now, do some people sense some things? Sure, but you don't go by your senses. It's wonderful if it happens, but you don't need it. Oh, but God, I do need it. No, you don't. Because if you get it, you're going to rely on that instead of the truth by faith. And sometimes God won't give you what you want because it'll sabotage your faith. I didn't, I was unaware of any anointing in my life. And I, it was, it was incredibly painful and difficult because uh, I would have people come to me and say, you know, there's such an anointing. There was such an anointing in the service. There was such an anointing on the word. And I was like, I wouldn't have known it. And I mean, this didn't happen for a couple of weeks. This happened for a few years. And I was, I, I, would, I would 
get before God on my face and cry and squall and bawl and say, you know, everybody else is feeling this anointing and I don't feel anything and I don't think that's fair. And finally, I got to the place where I said, all right, God, I don't care. It doesn't matter if I ever feel an anointing or, or sense your presence or anything. I'm going to believe what your word says. And you know what happened? I started to sense some things that I didn't sense before. Because God was waiting on me to make a decision. What was I going to put my, my confidence in? What was I going to have a confident expectation in? What I felt, what other people felt, or what his word said? Folks, there's nothing, nothing, nothing that is more stable or secure or long-lasting than the Word of God. And that's why we have to put our faith in that. We have to have our confidence in God and what he said. But Paul was confident that God was with him, and it was affirmed to him by the angel, but you may not have an angel. You have the Word of God that's more sure than an angel showing up. It goes on to say, uh, the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, the second anchor was this confidence in his relationship with God. You and I have to have a confident relationship with God. And, and no, who does God say you are? Because we feel like we're all sorts of things. Sometimes we feel like we're the worst son or daughter of God, and we don't deserve anything. But listen, God loves you. You're his beloved child. That does not change with what you do or don't do. And so you, it's one thing to know God's there, but if you think God's mad at you, you're not going to be confident that he's going to help you. But understand this, God is always there and God always loves you. Nothing will ever change that. Your value to God will never change based on what you do or don't do. So you can be confident of how he loves you, how he wants the best for you, and then be confident this relationship is a confidence we have not only in how he loves us and how he sees us as his beloved child, but how we need to look at him as our loving, perfect, good father. If you know God loves you, he's good all the time, every good and perfect gift comes from him, then you can be confident in no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, that he is working things for good. Hello? And you got to settle that. And it's not easy. It's not like you say, well, I, I, I know God's a good God, and I know I'm his beloved child, and I know he's my, my good and loving and perfect father, and every good and perfect gift comes from him. And the next time you get swatted by life, you know, it just slaps you up one side and down the other. And all of a sudden, the questions come, well, God, if you're so good, why did this happen? You know, I hear people ask that all the time. And, you know, I understand asking that question, but you got to settle that question and understand it doesn't change who God is. God is a good God. But the reality is you and I are living in a fallen world. Some people say, well, you know, that must be the will of God. No, it may not be the will of God because the enemy has his will wrapped up for you too. He'll bring all sorts of stuff to you. Do you think it was the will of God for Jesus to be lied about and all these things happen? 
No, it wasn't the will of God, but there, was, there were fallen people acting corruptly, direct, corruptly directed by the enemy. And yet he was, God was going to see him through it, but it wasn't a cakewalk as he was going through it. We have to settle these things. We have to know that he's a good God all the time. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. And if it's not what God has said, then God's not finished doing what he's going to do. And that's the third, third anchor where he said, uh, the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, uh, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God, believe God that it will be just as he told me. So Paul believed two things. This third anchor was a confidence in God's plan and God's promise. Now, if you look back, and we're not going to do it, but if we were to go back a couple of chapters, I think it's chapter 22 or something like that, where uh, it, it, the Lord told him, you're going to witness for me here in Jerusalem, but you're also going to witness for me in Rome. Now, how many of you know being that witness was not an easy thing, but it was a good thing. And God needed him to do that because not everybody would have done it. There are some things that God has for you and me to do that are not going to be comfortable, not going to be convenient, uh, not going to be necessarily at the moment enjoyable. But when we look back on what God was able to do through our willingness and obedience, our confidence in him and following him out, we're going we're gonna to rejoice knowing that it impacted. Because Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the pain, suffering, and shame of the cross. Paul endured the things because of what God was able to do through these things. He had a confidence in God no matter what was going on because he knew God was there. He knew his relationship, how God viewed him and how he viewed God was strong. And he also had a confident expectation in God's plans and promises that God was going to bring them for good. And so these are the first three, but now we're going to look at the final one that we see in this portion of Paul's life and again, I'm telling you this because there are not just four anchors. These are the four anchors we see right here. But there are an unlimited number of anchors that we can have, that we can have confidence in God, as long as it's in who, that he's always with you, that your relationship with him is strong. He loves you, and, and you and I need to love God. And that we have a confidence in his plans and his promises. And where do we find his plans and promises? In the scriptures. That's why we have to dig in. But in Acts chapter 27, verse 33 through 36, uh, this, is, this is 14 days later. It says, and as day was about to dawn, remember, they had been in the dark. No sun, no stars. They couldn't see anything. There was just hurricane force winds, waves that were just monstrous. Paul implored them to take food, saying, today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food. And, and eat nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. I should have been on that ship. <laughs> but right here we see Paul saying, he's still got this confidence. Nothing has changed, and he's still confident. Confident, confident, confident. And he says, now eat something. Now, how many of you know in this environment they didn't eat because maybe they were stressed out? 
uh, which, which uh, they were too afraid to eat. They were looking at everything else going around or they had been seasick, right? Whatever it was, they didn't eat. 14 days they didn't eat. Another reason why I should have been on that ship. Uh, but anyways, uh, he tells them, take food. Take food. This, this nourishment is for your what? Survival. What's changed? They're going to die. Paul's saying you're going to survive, so eat. Paul had a confidence that they didn't. And then Paul does something. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and took food for themselves. The fourth anchor is the anchor of thanksgiving. It's a confidence in God's outcome, a confidence in God's faithfulness of what he's promised and, and what he'll do. You know, that's one of the things. We're, we're coming up on a celebration that is pretty much just a North American celebration. Canada does it, but they got it from us. And uh, we, we celebrate Thanksgiving. And it's, it's one day that we're supposed to stop and give thanks. But as a Christian, does one day cut it? No, every day we should be giving thanks to God. And so uh, he's, he gave thanks, and he broke the bread, and he ate it, and, and he did this in front of everybody. He didn't do it over a corner. He gave thanks to God in the midst of all this. Do you think that that kind of made all these people think for a moment? Stop and think, Paul's giving thanks. Paul's eating something. Paul said we need to eat something because we're going to survive this. You know, it's like the story about the little boy who was badly burned and went to the hospital. And in the hospital, uh, he was not doing well. And uh, where he was, they had a teacher assigned to the hospital that would visit children in the hospital under the hospital's care and get the information that they needed from the school of what their, their lessons were. And this one teacher walked in unprepared for what she was about to see. And she saw a very badly burned boy. But she, she didn't react to it. She went in, and the lesson was adverbs and verbs. And so she sat down by the little boy's bed and said, listen, I'm here to, to go over your lesson with you. It's about adverbs and verbs. And went over the lesson and, and left. And she was just drained because it was so difficult seeing this. She wasn't, she wasn't sure the little boy was going to survive. The next day she went up with the next lesson plan. And, and before she got to the little boy, all the nurses on that floor came to her and said, what did you do? And she was like, oh my gosh, well, I, I don't know, what are you talking about? They said, we have had such a change in this little boy. What did you do? And she thought, oh, no, no, it's good. He's fighting back, he wants to live. How did you get him to, to take courage? She said, I don't know. I just talked about adverbs and verbs. And they went in and talked to the little boy and said, why, why, why this change? He said, well, I was just thinking that they're not going to send somebody in to talk about adverbs and verbs to somebody, some kid that's going to die.
Paul took bread. He broke it and gave thanks. He said, eat it because this is for your survival. What would one bit of bread in a stomach when they're going to die do for survival? It gave them hope because Paul had hope. They saw it in him. You and I need to have that kind of hope. And, and why does it come from thanks? Thanksgiving. Well, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, in everything. In everything. Now, don't read what's not there. It doesn't say for everything. Not everything that comes to your life. You know, I, I, it pains me when I hear people say, well, you know, it's for a reason. Yeah, but who's behind the reason? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, it's for a reason. God has this reason. The enemy has a plan. We can give ourselves to the enemy's plan. Not everything that happens to everybody all the time is God's will. Is God aware of it? Yes. But we make all sorts of decisions. If I go out and drink a fifth of Jack Daniels, and I wake up sick and hungover, and, and now I'm going back to the alcoholism that I was uh, uh, imprisoned by. Well, it must have been God's will. Do you see how dumb that is? How deceived that is? You need to recognize not everything that comes to your life is God. Is God aware of it? Yes. And he'll bring you through what is not of him. But don't accept it all as, oh, it's just just. It's for a purpose. God will bring purpose to everything, but God does not initiate everything. Hello? Oh, some of you are struggling with that. You need to think about that for a while and really understand that, yes, is God in control? Yes, to a degree. What do you mean to a degree? Who did God give control of the earth to initially? Adam and Eve. Who did Adam and Eve give control over to? The enemy. Now, God is here looking to be allowed control in our lives and work through our lives and in our lives. But the enemy wants the same thing. He wants to work in your lives and through your lives and, and bring death and destruction. God wants to bring abundant life. It's pretty clear when we, we see what's happening, who's in control. And we need to, we need to fight the good fight of faith. We need to resist the enemy, not just say, okay, all right. Sickness come from God? Every good and perfect gift. When was the last time you saw sickness as a good gift? It's not. Sickness is from this fallen world, from the results of sin. And so we have to fight. We have to fight in faith, believing that we are the healed. We are the redeemed. And it's better to fight in faith and, and continue to fight through that. My mom did that. And she's healed. Not the way I wanted, but she is healed. She has complete health. And we all will eventually, but we need to fight the fight of faith here. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. 
well, I, I, I give thanks because whatever's happening to me is God's will. No, it's not God's will necessarily. But what is God's will? That in everything you give thanks. That is what it's pointing to. In everything give thanks. This is the will of God, that in everything you give thanks. Why? Why is it God's will? Why is it so important? Why is it an anchor? Why is it the confidence that holds us secure in giving thanks? Because in Psalm 69, verse 30, it says this. I will praise the name of God with a song, and I will magnify him with what? When I give thanksgiving and I praise him, what happens in my perception of God? What's it say? Thank you. Magnify. I will magnify him. What does magnify mean? To make bigger. Can you make God bigger than what he is? No. But what it is, it's in relationship to how we view our problems and our provider. You know, many times we, we get overwhelmed by something and because our problems come running at us so quickly, so hard, so fast, they get so close to us. And what happens when something gets really close to you? How much of your vision does it take up? All right, everybody, extend your arm. Now, turn your hand towards your face. Now, when you look at that, kind of move it around to see what you see in the room. Now, bring the, your hand closer and look around and closer and closer and closer and closer. And what happens to your view of the room? You see less. But is that because your hand's bigger? No, it appears bigger. And so we get overwhelmed when a problem comes to us and we let it get closer and closer and closer and closer. All of a sudden, it seems bigger than what it is. And it blocks out God. And when we begin to thank God, to worship God, to praise God, to give thanksgiving to him. We're remembering what he's done and who he is and what his promises are. And, and God begins to be who he is. He is bigger than anything you'll ever face. Thanksgiving magnifies God. And I can tell you every time we encounter opposition or obstacles, it's an opportunity to magnify God because no matter how much you magnify him, you'll never get the reality of how big he is, how good he is, how faithful he is, how wise he is. But that thanksgiving magnifies him. And we need to see God bigger than our problems because there's no problem you and I ever face that ever comes close to being as big as our God. And all of a sudden, what came in? You know, the Bible says when the enemy comes in, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord raises up a standard. The enemy's coming at you. But God is already with you. He's always there. He, he loves you. He wants the best for you. He's got promises and plans that are good. Not for evil with a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11. And, and as we get kind of knocked off balance by what the enemy's bringing, all of a sudden when we begin to magnify him with thanksgiving, we begin to thank God. 
You know, the moment you don't have something to thank God for, you're in real trouble. Because in that moment that the enemy has done what he's done and doing what he's doing, you and I can't just look at that moment and say, oh, God, where are you? Because that's already doubt and unbelief. What we have to do is say, God, we know where you are. You're right here. You love us. We love you. You've got plans for us, for good and not for evil, with a future and a hope. And Father, we remember what you did. Just like, remember when David faced Goliath? What was, what was his battle strategy? He remembered and was thankful. The God that gave the lion and there will surely put you into my hands. He was remembering. He was appreciating the victories God had given him. God's given us victories. Every one of us. If nothing else, he's given us victory over sin. The power of sin has been broken in our lives. But he's given us all sorts of other victories. And many times it's so easy to remember the things that were so difficult and not so much the victories. That's why it's important for us to write these things down. Magnify him with thanksgiving. In Philippians 4, 6, it says be anxious for nothing. Nothing. That's, that's God again saying don't be afraid. Don't be anxious for anything. The moment you and I find ourselves anxious or afraid, it's because we're not confident in God. We're not remembering who he is and that he's with us and that he's for us and that he has promises and plans for us and and we forget all the things that he's done be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer supplication with thanksgiving because even in our prayer you know if we forget to thank god we don't have that energy that energizing that says you know what i'm going to the one i went to back when i asked for this and he was so faithful to do it Thanksgiving. It's not just a one day a year event for a Christian. It needs to be multiple times a day that we give Thanksgiving. And why? What, 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 what effect does that have on us? Well, before we go to Jeremiah 17, I just want to share a couple of other scriptures. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, it says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That gives us the victory. Give thanks because he's given you the victory. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ Jesus. Triumph is complete victory. These people knew what triumph was. And I don't have time to go in it, but when somebody triumphed, when, when uh, an army went out and triumphed over a foe, what they would do is bring in the king and all uh, the higher-ups in the country that they, they conquered. And they would bring in their animals and, and their wealth and things like that and parade them through the street. And then the general that was leading that procession that had that victory would ultimately stop at a very uh, planned spot and put the king down and step on his neck and show that there was no power that he had anymore the complete victory 
was theirs. That was the triumph. But how does this, how, do, how does this hope, this, this confidence in God having his way, how does, it, how does it affect us? In Jeremiah 17, verse 7 and 8, it says this, and this is, it says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. When God is our hope, this is what results. He'll be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when he comes. But his leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. This is what God has. When, when we're willing to trust and hope, when God is our hope and we put our trust in God, we'll be like a tree. The Bible tells us we're, 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 we're like trees planted by the waters, not visiting the waters, planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes. Will not fear, will not fear, will not be anxious. But its leaf will be green in the year of drought. Nor will cease from yielding fruit. What's the same? When the Lord is our hope and we trust in him, our environment, our surroundings may change but it doesn't have to have an effect on us. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be afraid. Our roots are going to go deep. There was a man in California that was uh, uh, questioned about his crops, his almond trees. One of the things that, that is so um, valuable in California is water. There's a very limited amount of water. Sometimes they can't even build um, developments because they don't have the water rights. And you can only use so much water. And, and his, his almond trees were still vibrant when they were going through this drought. And they thought that what was happening was he was siphoning water out illegally. And, and they watched him and watched him and watched him and it wasn't happening. But... One thing that would happen is when these trees were young, before the drought and all this problem with water was going on, he had really sparingly watered his trees. He would water them and soak them and then keep them without water for long periods of time. And what ended up happening was the roots went really deep so that they were able to reach water sources that weren't superficial. And when the drought came, the other trees reacted to it, and his didn't. You see, God has for you and me to have our roots deep, deep in him, deep in his truth, deep in our confidence in him, so that when things happen, yeah, it's not comfortable, but we're not undone by it. And it says will not be anxious in the year of drought. Extended times. Listen, we're going through extended times of difficulties. And we shouldn't be anxious. If we have a hope in God, 
If God is our hope, we don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be afraid because we know whose we are and what he has planned for us. And he's faithful. The last scripture I want to share with you is Isaiah 40. And, and this is a pretty familiar scripture to many of us. Those that wait upon the Lord, right, will mount up with wings as eagles, run and grow, not grow weary, walk and not be faint. But in the NIV translation, it says this, because that word wait upon, those words are hope. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Just renewing our strength. This is what happens when we hope in God. This strength starts to fill us because we have this confidence again. This confident expectation of good, that God's going to work it out for good, that God's going to have his way and it's going to be life-giving. says that we'll soar with wings on wings like eagles. What does that mean? Well, it means a couple of things. When, when there are storms, do you know what eagles do when they can't avoid the storm? They head right towards the storm. They lock their wings. And because there's such updrafts by these storms, once they hit that updraft, it lifts them over the storm. The other thing that, that on wings as eagles, they have the most amazing eyesight. And what they do is many times they just soar to very, very high altitudes to get a better view. You know, if you and I will soar with God to where he is and look from his perspective, do you know what God does in, in, in heaven? The Bible says God laughs. God is laughing right now, not because of everything going on, but because he knows no matter what the enemy tries, God is going to have his way. And God laughs because the enemy thinks he's getting an advantage over God's people. And he trusts and believes that we're going to trust in him. And so he's able to laugh at that because the enemy's, enemy's works are futile. God's going to have his way. And we need to choose to let God have his way in our lives. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm looking around and, and I'm familiar with, I think, every person here. And I, I have a confidence that you are in a good relationship with God, good fellowship. But maybe, maybe there's a need for some adjustment. And, and throughout this, the course of this, this series, I've been becoming more aware of adjustments I need to make. I, I, I thought that I was lined up, but I realized I wasn't as lined up as I needed to be. And, and I needed to make some changes. And so I'm just asking you right now, if you recognize that you're anxious or you're fearful about things, realize there's, a, there's an adjustment that needs to be made. And that adjustment is to come to that place of, of hope, that the God of hope would fill you with all joy, strength, and peace, security, and stability in believing 
Believing that he's with you. Believing that you're priceless to him. You're his beloved child. Believing that he is a good father and every good and perfect gift comes from him. He wants to do that in your life. Believing that he has plans and promises for you that are for good and not for evil with a future and a hope. Believing that he's going to have his way and you're waiting on him and trusting in him to have his way and you can give thanksgiving before you ever see it because you look back and see how faithful he was and he will not change how faithful he will be. Father, I just pray for every one of us. It's not just a one-time thing. We, we, we battle all the time. We live in a world that offers us unlimited opportunities to, to question and to, to flounder as we look around at our circumstances and situations, as we listen to all those that are telling us uh, as so-called experts of what's going to happen and, and how we ought to do things. But, Father, there's only one who knows the truth and who is the truth, and that is you. Father, help us to turn our attention and our allegiance from all the things that are, are pulling on us to look to and to trust in. And let us turn to you. Let us put our confidence in you. Your scripture says those that put their confidence in you will not be disappointed. Will never be ashamed. And so, Father, today I thank you for helping us navigate the world that we live in. And be true followers of you, depending on you and trusting in you and having our hope in you and you alone, that we would be like these trees planted by the rivers of water. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?